0: Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from January 31st by Pastor Randy, titled, Reset, What It Takes to Reconnect with God, Part 2. Okay, let's start off looking at a verse. Psalm 8110. I am the Lord your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Open your mouth wide and, and I will fill it. That reminds me of when my kids were little, and maybe you've done this too. They're in a high chair, they're above the little feeding trough, and you got your little spoonful of food and you dipped it in there, and you go, okay, here comes the airplane. Zzz, you know, open wide. And the, sometimes that worked, but sometimes that did not work. Usually the reason it didn't work because you're trying to feed them something so gross that you're having to hold your nose and hoping they open their mouth. Because you'd never gone to the store and shop for smashed up carrots, have you? you have never been eating lunch and the guy next to you pulls out a Gerber jet baby food jar of smashed peas or turkey and gravy or whatever, liquid turkey and gravy and eat that. You just don't do that. And so you're trying to convince your kid this is good stuff to open wide for them to to, to be able to put that spoon in their mouth so they can eat it. And they're usually like going, no way, you know, and their mouth's going back and forth. Now, if you are a good parent, and this takes practice, I know, but you might be able to find a little opening and sneak a little bit in there. But more than likely, most of it's going to wind up on their face and in their little feeding trough down there in a high chair and just all over them. God tells us to open wide. So that he can fill us up, not with smashed up carrots or peas, but with the good stuff, with himself. He wants to give us himself. But knowing us, we don't always respond the right way. Look to the next verse. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own plans. So rather than opening wide their mouth so God could connect with him and be their God, what'd they do? They didn't listen. They said, we'll follow our own plans. And God said, fine. You want to do that? Then you just follow them where those plans lead you. And so they basically said, we're going to do things our way. We don't want to forgive. We don't want to give. We don't want to be generous to other people. We don't want to love other people. We want to, you know, be able to say what we want to say and do what we want to do. And so we'll walk in immorality. We won't put other people first and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then they experienced where life goes. See, that's our culture right now. That's where our culture is at. God said, look, I want to connect with you. I want to fill your life with good stuff. And we go, no, 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 I've got my own plans. And so right now in our culture, just like what happened to people of Israel, those relational walls, those moral walls, those spiritual walls have collapsed and there is nothing left. It's gone. But here's what we read in the next verse. If only my people would listen to me And Israel would follow my ways. I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. If only my people would listen to me. I want you to hear, be connected to me. If only they would establish that connection. Then things would be different. So, for the past several weeks, we've been talking about connecting to God. And we said there's three things that you can do to either reset, reestablish, re sync your life with God. Number one was to allow God's Word, His living and body Word, to penetrate your heart. And some of you, you've been doing that for this past month. I hear people talk about that all during the week, about how that's had an effect on their lives. But that's over with today, right? Today's day 28, right? Into Matthew. So here's the question, what are you going to do tomorrow? That's the question. What's going to happen tomorrow? Are you still going to be seeking to get God's word into your life? Are you still saying, I got to connect with him and I got to have his word in my life to do that? The second thing we said was to pray, not about physical things, but about spiritual things, not that... You shouldn't pray for physical things. No, we should, but oftentimes we neglect what God wants to do in us. God, overwhelm my heart with your love. And then the third thing we said in order to connect with God is that you do that with others. We're not alone, we are a body. We have to do that together. But then last week we said, but connection always costs, it's not that easy. You will have to rearrange your priorities, change your values, as, as uh, Christina demonstrated for us today, if you want that to happen in your life. That's attention tension all throughout Scripture. Jesus says, you want to follow me? You can't be my disciple. You can't be my follower unless, unless, unless. And he's always telling them, unless you change your values, rearrange your priorities, unless you put things in a different order in your life. And so last week, I gave you that acrostic. I think I'm maybe somewhat done with acrostics the in there. But anyway, I gave you this acrostic for, for order. To, these things are to motivate you to put things in a different order. Obtaining anything significant involves losing something else. R, reevaluate what matters most. D, do not let anything that will ultimately mean nothing keep you from what, uh, keep you from experiencing what means everything and E, eliminate, don't compensate, and R, revolutionize how you define to win. And we looked at that last one last week that revolutionized how you define to win with the life of Moses because he had to to redo to redefine what what his goal was going to be in life. If he wanted to connect with God, he had totally put that in a different order. Rather than having everything that the royalty of, of the house of Pharaoh could give him, he had decided, I'm going to connect with God. That's more important than what I can gain out of Pharaoh's house. So he had to put things in a different order. For the past, well, let me, let's go let me just tell you what we're going to deal with today. Today we're going to deal with the, the D in, the, in that acrostic order, the D. The D said, do not let anything that ultimately means nothing keep you from experiencing what means everything. In other words, get rid of distractions in your life. Today, you know what that means? It means things like this right here our screens. Around 15 years ago, I couldn't tell you exactly when, but around 15 years ago, because of the rise of impurity within not just our culture, but our church. I said, I've got to address this every year. And so every year for at least the past 15 years, you've had either a series of sermons or you had one sermon a year, but every year you've had a ser- at least one sermon on purity. Because that's just the thing that, that is just destroying our churches. It's the silent killer in our churches. But you know what, now for the past three years, I said, I've got to do at least one sermon a year or a series of sermons on the screens in our life. Because these things, it's killing our relationship with God. These things are destroying a whole lot of, of what's going on in our life. How much of life is wasted by you watching somebody's cat do a backflip off a sofa? Now, listen, I'm not a golfer, okay? I don't really even watch golf on TV. But once a year, when the Masters roll around, I will take about 10 minutes on that Sunday afternoon, that last day, and I will, I'll watch because I want to see a group of people, a large group of people, not doing this or this, or this, with their cell phone, because these things aren't allowed at the Masters. They're forbidden to have. And I often tell myself, how does that go? I mean, how can you stand not to have that? You might miss out on on some world crisis that's going on, some event that's going on. You may miss some post that somebody posts on your Facebook account. How does that happen? And so I imagine myself, You know, what would that look like? So I can see a couple of guys walking around in the gallery, and they go, what's that sound? I think that's birds. And they don't sound angry. I think they're real birds. And then there's Tiger Woods. Let's take a pic. Oh, what are we going to do? I guess we'll just have to look at them. And after a couple of hours, they've had some conversations. They've noticed the leaves and trees, the pine needles on the ground, and they've had nothing between them and enjoying a great sporting event. The difference it makes. But here's the thing. I'm amazed at how quickly we have a generation that's just totally addicted to their screens. Try telling a the kid these days that you grew up and you never carried a phone around in your pocket. It was on the wall in your house attached to a cord. There was no screen. There was no texting. There was no caller ID. Well, how would you know who was calling? We didn't. But now today, in just a short time, there is an actual anxiety separation disorder when people don't have this with them. Do you realize a generation of kids, they're going to spend 14 years doing this right here, just staring at that screen of their life, 14 years of life staring at their screen. One study said 68% of 18 to 34-year-olds do not go one waking hour without looking at their phones. 74% of 18 to 34-year-olds say this thing right here is the last thing they see when they go to bed at night and the first thing they see when they wake up in the morning. Now, what's going on here is that these things, they're designed to be addictive. It's a little thing, and you've heard this before, it's called dopamine, right? It's that little high that your body releases when when people uh, have a ding on their phone or or there's a post or something. It gives them this this little sense of high. It's the same thing that happens when people gamble, when you have sex, or in my case, when you eat angel food cake with chocolate icing. It's that, ah, that sense of, of high that you feel. In fact, you get a little less of a hit of a dopamine hit than you do with cocaine. Not, not too much of a difference actually. So these things are addicted that they give us this high. And so what we need to realize is that people just aren't sort of addicted to this. They actually are addicted to these things. It's a physical thing that goes off in your brain and people know this. And there are people who know this who spend billions of dollars to keep you addicted to this. Because that's how they make their money. Facebook is a company. They don't make less money or more money when you don't post. Twitter, Instagram, they all know this too. That every time you pick this thing up and, and you're on it, you get that little ding, it, it fills you up with dopamine. Now, let's, here's the thing about dopamine. Dopamine is not only a, a little sense of euphoria, a sense of high. it's a neurotransmitter, which simply means this, that, that the way it, it works in your body, it trains you to want more of what gave you that hit of dopamine to begin with. In other words, you get that little hit from that little ding or that little post, and, and you want more of that. So they're designed to be addictive and to keep you addictive. And they know that to keep you, if they want to keep you engaged, they got to keep you enraged sometimes. Because people who are angry, they spend more time on here and they make more money. And believe me, they know every click you make. And they will feed you stuff to keep you angry. They know. That you are six times more likely, six times more likely to post a lie than the truth. Because the truth is boring. But the lie, that gets you excited, that gets you angry. So you spend more time on here and they make more money. Listen to this article called Resist the Internet from New York Times. Here's what the author writes. They are the masters. We are not. They are built to addict us, madden us, distract us, arouse us, and deceive us. We primp and perform for them as for a lover. We surrender our privacy to their demands. We wait on tender hooks for every light. The smartphone is a saddle and it rides mankind. Now, please listen. I am not anti-screen I guess to an extent I am but not all the way an anti-screen person but I wonder if we've gone from watching these things to worshiping these things if we've gone from the, the God who holds the world hand, holds the whole world in his hands to, to us holding a device in our hands if we've gone from coming to the temple sanctuary to worship God to pulling out of our pocket the, the temple or sanctuary which we go to worship. So here's what we said. There are three ways that we connect to God. If we want to reconnect, reset our life, there's three things you have to do. Let the living and abiding word have an impact on your heart. The second thing was prayer. Pray about what's going on inside you spiritually, not just the physical things. And the third thing, you can't do this alone. You've got to have others. So guess what the number one reason that people give on why they don't spend time in prayer and the word of God? They're too busy. So how do you justify that with how much time people spend on their screens? Listen, I tell you, the number one use of these things in judgment day is to prove that you being too busy was not the real issue. I like what John Piper said, said uh, people, the first thing they get up in the morning where they got to look at their screen. He said, for a lot of people, that's novelty candy, which means they want to see what the news is, what the latest thing is going. They don't want to hear from somebody else. They want to find out right first thing in the morning what's going on in the world or in their little world even. And then he says it's ego candy. How many likes did I have last night while I was sleeping? What are some posts, you know, what are people thinking about me and how much do they like me? So it's ego candy. Then he calls it entertainment candy because people don't want to be left alone in their thoughts. And so they pick that up to start playing a game or something or just surfing through the net to find something to do. Because they can't stand just to be alone. Here's what we read in Psalm 5, 3. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I plead my case to you and watch expectantly. You know, I I just would wish that that would be us. That we know that there's people all in our congregation that are getting up in the morning and the first thing they're doing is opening up the word of God, not looking at some glowing rectangle. We come to a place where these devices are taking place of our connection to God. Where do you turn to comfort when you're hurting? For some people, they just want to zone out. They just want to become zombies. They'll get on Netflix and just become totally numb by by what they get on their screens. But an idol is anything you turn to. To take the place of God. When you should turn to God, you turn to that idol instead. Is there anything you turn to rather than God? Where do you turn to for direction? When you're confused, when you're not sure which way to go. Now it's, well, let's Google my issue or let's find out on Facebook or let's ask Siri rather than ask God. Here's a very familiar scripture to us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways know him, and he will make your path straight. In other words, don't trust your heart. Trust God with your heart. But no, people don't do that anymore. Third thing, what do you turn to for satisfaction when you feel empty? A lot of people, they spend way too much time shopping online to fill them up. Where do you turn to when you feel insecure? Oh, this is what people do. They'll take a picture. They'll edit it. They'll crop it. Then they'll post it and go, how many likes did I get? Because what happens is they become obsessed with how people perceive them. And they get all that from here. Meanwhile, while... This is becoming the place we go to in our life, the screens in our life. We have the God of the universe who created us, who knows the number of hairs on our head, who wants to spend time with us, but he's not going to compete with social media. He refuses to. You remember that familiar story in Luke chapter 10? Jesus goes to Mary and Martha's place, and Martha's all busy working in the kitchen trying to fix a meal for Jesus. Mary's just there at his feet listening, and Martha gets so frustrated that Mary's not helping. She goes to Jesus. Tell Mary to help me. I've asked her. She just sits there. She won't do anything. Tell her. And Jesus says, oh, Martha, Martha. You're distracted by so many things. But Mary has chosen the most important thing that I will not take from her. Never let anything that doesn't mean. Never let, never let something that doesn't mean anything distract you from what means everything, which is the presence of God. God in your life social media not only keeps us from connecting to God because of, of the time it steals of the distraction that it becomes it not only takes away from letting God's word into our life and takes away from uh, from prayer but it also destroys relationships. You know what now they're saying the number one cause of divorce is? Either directly or indirectly, stuff that's put on Facebook. Need to let that sink in for a little bit. Not to mention that people who spend too much time on social media, not only is narcissism an issue, but also depression and loneliness. And let me ask you this. How many of you know, not of one, not of two, but many relationships that have been destroyed because of some post on Facebook? We want to connect with God and we say we got to do that by being a body? And look at all the destruction that it causes. It's ripping apart the social fabric of our culture. Tearing it apart. you are being mighty quiet. Another very familiar verse. I thought, you know, we, we go over this verse, probably mission it a couple of times a year, but I just couldn't find anything any better. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. The church, during the medieval era, they would let knights be baptized with their swords. But what happened as a, as a knight be baptized with swords, he would go down in the water, he would hold up his sword. Is it to say, not this, what I do in battle is my business. This isn't covered. It's kind of the, the idea was this is just not part of the deal. And I wonder if so many people would be baptized, they'd be baptized holding their phones up. Not this, what I do on Netflix, what I post and what I say. That's not covered. But what does Paul say? He says we're to offer all our bodies as a living sacrifice to him. Then he says don't be conformed to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by what you think. In psychology, they have what's called a law of cognition. Simply put, your life is shaped by your thoughts. They also have the law of exposure. Simply put, you think about what you're exposed to. So your life is shaped by your thoughts, and your thoughts are shaped by what you're exposed to. Now, what does that say when the thing that people are exposed to all the time is a screen? What's going on then? The screens are the things that's discipling us because this is what people expose themselves to. And what's the filter for whatever we should expose ourselves to? What what should that filter be that we allow things to come into our life? What he says in, in that Romans 12, 1, 2 is that the filter is, is it holy and pleasing to God? That's the filter for you let anything in your life, is it holy and pleasing to God? The filter is not, is it wicked and offensive to God? You know, that'd be much easier, wouldn't it? As long as it's not wicked or offensive to God, don't let it into your life. I could deal with that a lot better. But that's not what he says. He says, is it holy and pleasing to God? That's the filter. So, again... I'm not anti screen I believe this technology can be used to inspire us, to teach us, help us in discipleship, be an encouragement. It has those possibilities. But we have to learn to leverage it to help build a connection with God, not tear it down. Not to give us an excuse, I'm too busy, I don't have time. Not to, instead of building relationships, it destroying relationships. So, here's what I would ask you to do. And I specifically avoided making that acrostic, so you're just going to have to deal with what I'm asking you to do. Okay? I felt like I was getting to a trap. Number one, Fast. From social media. Let me define what what I think a good fast would be. Take one day a week. And if it doesn't have anything to do with work. Or your family. Having a conversation with your family. Or with work. Don't look at it. Don't touch it. Number two. Cut in half how much you're staring at your screen. Every one of these comes with a an app or, or, or some part of it that, that tells you how much time you spend on this and how much time you spend in different areas on this. Just look and see what that is. Decide to cut it in half. And number three, don't let this be the first thing you look at when you get up in the morning. So, when we when when i've been talking about purity and talking with guys about uh, about porn and stuff over the years uh, i try and, and direct things to them you know let's let's you know first you got to find a group you no know, confess what's going on in your life and, and give them steps to take so let me just give you some things to, to think about with this is concern here they are number 1 Do you need to say, Jesus, you have my full attention and I'm sorry for the times I've been distracted? Just ask yourself that. Number two, do you need to say, I'm sorry for the ways that I have looked to the screen to do for me what you want to do for me? To find your fulfillment, to find your self esteem, to find your comfort in a screen. Number three, do you need to say, I'm sorry for the mornings where I have started off today by looking at a screen instead of looking to you? Number four, I'm sorry for the times when I have tried to find purpose and direction for my life by searching Google before searching the scriptures. And then I'm sorry for the times I've looked for validation and value in likes and comments of what others say rather than what you have to say about me. Here's what I know. We are a Christian culture where our relational, moral, and spiritual walls have fallen down. They can't even get an attorney general that hasn't had issues in our state, apparently. And I wish I could say it was different in... The church life, but it's not a whole lot different there either. It is a little bit, but not much as far as Christian leaders. yeah, There's so many that's gone in the past couple of years and they've been high profile, it's hard to keep track of all that. And not only is it that in church, it is Christian leaders in churches, but it's much more that just people in the pew in churches. Okay? So things have crumbled, they've fallen apart. We have to reconnect. With God. And I give you steps to do that. The, the ways to, to for to, us to start reconnecting with God. But it's going to be a cost. Your values, your priorities have to change. You can't keep trying to put the big rocks in last. It's got to change. It's going to cost you something. It cost Moses something to change those values, to change those priorities. Paul says, You got to change your whole way of thinking. And what I'm trying to get across to you this morning, you want to reconnect with God, you got to get rid of the distractions the thing that's sucking the the life out of you, the thing that is actually discipling you because it's addicted to you. They designed it to be addictive. They didn't know that to begin with. I really honestly think they did not realize that. But soon they realized what they were creating. And now they will do anything to keep you looking at this because that's the more money they make. We have to be willing to say, I want to have different priorities and values because I want to connect to the God. In our culture, that means you're going to look a little bit different. You know what? I long for the day when I don't have to turn on the TV to catch 10 minutes of a crowd at the Masters that are just standing there without their phones. I long for the day when I can be around church people And they're just not all staring at their phones, but instead enjoying being with one another. So, open wide your mouth, and God will fill it. And today, don't let anything that will ultimately mean nothing keep you from experiencing that which means everything. Because I promise you, they will do their best to get you addicted in some way, to get you angry about something, to keep you on this device. If it's not that platform, it'll be another platform because they all want the same thing. They all want you just to be on here because that's how they make their money. That's what the world wants. That's what we have to overcome because we have different priorities. We have different values. We put things in a different order in our life. Let that be us. Open wide your mouth and let God fill it. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.